a global marketplace, current economic impact, Arizona's business landscape, the medical versus recreational markets. Moderated by Ali Swenson, Phoenix New Times. Joined by panelist Laura Bianchi, partner at Bianchi, Brandt, and Hale. Don Morris, CEO of Proteus 420. Ryan Hurley, corporate counsel, Copper State Farms said I'm a reporter at Phoenix New Times. I am actually pretty new to Arizona, so therefore pretty new to understanding this industry here. I just moved here two months ago from New York. Um, but prior to that, I was in Los Angeles and Seattle, so I am familiar with seeing the build-out of marijuana industries um, across the country. And so it's been really interesting to kind of dive in and report on it here to see how it's starting to grow and develop. Um, and as we've heard already today, um, it certainly is a wild west where there is so much opportunity, economic opportunity, but also risk. Um, and so I'm really excited to talk to our panelists about all of those things. So just to introduce our panelists first, um, so directly to my right here, we have Dawn Morris. She is Chief Marketing Officer and Co-Founder of Proteus 420, which is a cannabis supply chain software solution that specializes in seed to sale and track and trace. She's also the daughter of a grower. And though she's based in California, she's also intimately familiar with the marijuana industry here and elsewhere across the US. So that's Dawn. Uh, next, we have Ryan Hurley, who is general counsel for Copper State Farms, which is the largest grower of medical cannabis in the Southwest. So Ryan has been working in Arizona's medical marijuana industry even before the law was passed. Um, and he's also worked behind the scenes on the new initiative for adult use, um, which is gathering signatures for the 2020 ballot right now. So thank you for being here, Ryan. And then finally, we have Laura Bianchi, who's an expert in cannabis law and financing and a partner at the law firm Bianchi Branton Hale. Uh, Laura has been working with clients in Arizona's medical marijuana industry since 2010, and she works on all aspects of that, um, from licensing process to development to contracts, branding, and even expansion to other states. So welcome, Laura. Um, and because of Laura's long experience in the industry, I want to start with her. Um, I was hoping that for all the people that are, may not be as familiar as the people on this stage with the industry in Arizona, if you could just kind of lay the groundwork for us of what the industry in Arizona looks like, what's its size and scope, and how has it grown over the years? Sure, sure. So I'm sure, as many of you may not know, Ryan and I actually started, he, he's the one who got me into this industry way back when, so I blame him and thank him um, on a daily basis. But uh, for those of you who don't know, obviously we, uh, this was voted in 2010. Um, we are definitely one of the more regulated states. There are 130 licenses. Uh, we are a vertically integrated state, which has some of its challenges that allows you to have a dispensary and cultivation facility both on-site and off-site. Um, I think I can attest that we have seen this industry grow almost in dog years. <laughs> you know, when we first went even to, so many of you go to the conferences in Las Vegas and different places, there was 2,000 people, 2,500, things like that, and now you're looking at hundreds of thousands of people. And, uh, you know, the sophistication, the level of professionals, the individuals in, involved in the industry have certainly grown. Um, Arizona as an industry itself, we now have, what, over 215 
thousand qualifying patients. That number is still growing. Um, the revenue in 2018 was estimated around 400 million. Um, and again, that, that's just an estimation and it's, it's been growing exponentially. We are seeing so many changes in, in what the, the market is bringing. Of course, as we talked about from dosing to efficacy and as more information comes out, as you see more CPAs and accountants and lawyers and individuals getting involved in this industry and all the professions, as I always say, every ancillary business that any other industry requires, the cannabis industry requires. And I think what we've seen over the last you know nine years is just an incredible um, explosion and, and it's it's been exciting to watch it's been fun to watch um, and I, I think we're still only really at the, the very beginning of it mm -hmm. uh, so a 400 million dollar industry that is a, a big industry um, Ryan since you're in-house um, at a grower I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about um, the different economic opportunities that are in this industry that are not just dispensary owners you know what are other ways that people can get involved in this industry besides just dispensaries sure it, it's really been interesting to, to watch the development of this uh, industry, as Laura said, uh, you know, in the beginning, uh, you were looking at somebody that maybe grew cannabis in his closet for a few years and had about $5,000 and 10 pounds of weed and was getting into the business. And now we have no less than $4 billion, billion with a B, market cap companies, publicly traded market cap companies operating out of, and some of which are based out of Arizona. Uh, so to see that uh, transition in just a short amount of time has, has really been astonishing. Uh, Arizona's market is somewhat unique in the fact that our licenses are vertically integrated. So if you do want to touch the plant, you have to either have one of those vertically integrated licenses or work with one of those folks that has a vertically integrated license. Um, but we make partnerships all the time. So we'll, we do a partnership brand with Moxie, for example. That's one of the brands that we distribute. Uh, and uh, another good thing's coming is a joint venture brand of ours. So there's all sorts of opportunities to work with the licensees if what you really want to do is, is uh, do something that touches the plant. But beyond that, uh, you know, we've seen a million different business ideas over the years, uh, a lot of which have been very successful. You know, the old adage is when uh, there's a gold rush going on, you, the people that really get rich are the ones that sell the picks and shovels, and uh, we saw that happening a lot. Uh, some of our lawyers did okay, and uh, we had uh, lots of great accountants, uh, lots of great uh, PR folks and marketing people, and pretty much anything that any other business needs, the cannabis industry needs, and they, they need somebody that understands the unique and regulatory aspects of the market, and that is okay stepping out and you know saying that yes, in fact, I do work with cannabis companies. Uh, it's a little less uh, hard to find these days, but early on that was that was a premium. Uh, if you were find somebody that was you know a professional in their field uh, and was willing to say I can work for a cannabis company, uh, that was uh, that was something to be said. So uh, there's a myriad, millions of different opportunities, not just in the cannabis plant touching, but ancillary. Uh, you know, tourism, uh, devices, uh, guidance and consulting, and now the legal hemp industry. If you can uh, make sure you have less than 0.3% THC in your products, you can market those products all over the country in some circumstances. So lots of lots of opportunity. It keeps growing every day. Thank you. Uh, and Don, since you're based in California, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how Arizona's industry compares to other states that you've seen the industry grow in? Well, obviously, Arizona's been 
at a at a forefront from the medicinal side. It has been a patient's first state for so long, and they didn't jump into the rec didn't want to jump into the recreational. I'll say they didn't want to jump into the recreational because they saw the mistakes that a lot of these other states were making, and California is one of them. I mean, California as a whole is one of the largest cannabis spaces right now. We are we are poised to be at $31 billion at the end of the year. That's a 23% growth mark from last year where we were at, uh, I think it was 21.8 billion. So, but not without our problems. California has come to the market where, you know, we went in backwards. We gave all these licenses to dispensaries and, and you know, delivery places, but we didn't have enough cultivators or manufacturers. And then they came in and said, well, you can micro license, and, but you have to have a distributor. And there was all these rules and regulations and compliance that came into place with it, and it really threw a loop constantly at the end consumer. And at the end of the day, what happened is you saw these other states that were st starting to get into the same. Oklahoma, they did a free-for-all, and they said, everybody gets a license. It was like Oprah Winfrey, everybody in here gets a <laughs> license. And it got a little crazy, and you had people who didn't understand how to run a business, let alone a cannabis business, getting a license. And they were starting to move into the market. So now what we see and, and I, I mentioned this all the time, and I've been saying this for about two years now, we are going to see in the cannabis space a huge slump. What's going to happen in the dot-com industry, what happened in the mortgage industry 25 and 10 years ago, is going to happen in the cannabis industry because that which gets infused with so much cash and rises up so fast has to fall. And I feel like that's kind of where California is. Um, I'm not sure if many of you know in here, but as of two days ago, uh, the State Regulatory Commission came out, CDTFA, decided to raise the excise tax from 65% to 80%. So um, it's insane. And it has, it, at the end of the day, who does it affect the most? And it's the consumer. And that's our veterans. That's our seniors. These are the people who use this because Medicare doesn't cover the traditional medicines that they need to help them be pain-free, to live still their best life. And I think that's where I hope and, I, and, I, and I'm looking at what's coming in for Arizona, and I'm starting to see, I'm thinking, okay, 16% excise tax, it's not a bad start. That's a great way to make sure that there's an easy transition from a medicinal state into a recreational state, because what happens is, is then you got people, large corporations coming in and buying licenses and buying shops, and, you know, and that's not really what the Arizona market is about. I think if any of the states that have legalized at this point out of the 11, Arizona will be the one state that will truly be for the patient still and for the consumer. And I really think that that's the one thing that you guys have going for you, outside of what California did. And, you know, you guys can't hit an 80% tax rate. It would kill your state. Mm -hmm. So. Um, thank you so much. So, so Ryan and Laura both, I saw you both shaking your heads when she was talking about California raising its tax. Um, so I'd love to kind of get your perspective as Arizona considers legalizing adult use cannabis, what you think is the ideal way to, um, you know, make sure that there are, are the appropriate number of revenues coming in while also making sure to keep patients priorities, you know, top priority, but also making sure that the business is sustainable and can continue. Yeah, it's a, it's a delicate balancing act. I mean, uh, you know, 
Nobody wants a completely unregulated market uh, that's going to be impossible to sell on to voters and is probably not the best idea anyway. Uh, but on the other hand, you put in too much regulation and you have what's happening in California where 70% of the market is still in the black market. Uh, and their tax revenues are way below where they think they're going to, not because the rate is too low, but because nobody's buying from legal stores. Uh, and so California had this sort of completely unregulated gray market, one of the first in the world, really, that was functioning relatively well, um, that needed a little bit of regulation, and instead what they got was a ton of it. Um, you know, Oklahoma is, a, is an, an example of the opposite, really. They, nobody thought that initiative was going to pass. Similar to what happened here in Arizona, nobody thought it was going to pass, so nobody paid a whole lot of attention to what was in it. And then all of a sudden, like you said, you get a license, you get a license, everybody got a license, which was great for the economics of it, right? They're a $350 million industry in its second year, which took us, you know, five, six, seven, eight years to get to that. So, uh, and, and our population obviously is, you know, much higher than Oklahoma. So it's exciting to see that from a regulatory standpoint, but you're also going to see a lot of businesses failing. Uh, you're going to see a, a lot of businesses having to adjust on the fly as they try to do what California did was put that genie back in the bottle. So it's a delicate balancing act. We've tried our best here in Arizona uh, to, to take what I think was a, a reasonably well-regulated medical program, not over-regulated, uh, and, and try to apply those same lessons to the initiative as, as we're going forward. And I, I am happy to say, despite the fact that 16% sounds kind of high to some folks, it will be the lowest tax rate by far of any regulated cannabis market in the, in the nation. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I would absolutely agree with Ryan. It's a it's a delicate balance, and I think it's it's you know balancing the the medical program versus the adult use program as well, and really trying to you know make sure that there's a difference between the two. I mean, poor California and Colorado. We always it's easy to go after them. They were the first to do so much of this, and it's you know hindsight's always twenty twenty. Um, but I think what again what we're seeing is number one, it's extremely difficult to regulate you know go in and, and overregulate an industry that wasn't regulated very well to begin with. Always it affects the patients it affects the businesses and it's really hard to tell people you need to spend you know an exorbitant amount of money to have a legal operating business when when so many of the black market guys are, are doing it and, and doing it better because they don't have to deal with those you know those costs so uh, you know looking at this from a, a financial a um, a business, but also a patient and a, and a you know a, a consumer perspective is really where you're going to get that balance. There's no one one correct way, you know. If you and I, I also just want to add that you know all of this, all of the regulation, all of that, the tax, it does end up in the in the uh, consumer or the patient's pocketbook, uh, and that is the number one thing we can do to undermine the black market, right? Is to make sure that that legal, safe, regulated cannabis is accessible at a price that is lower than the black market. And I'm super excited to say that, you know, back, back when I may or may not have been buying cannabis uh, before I was a patient, um, you know, it, it was 45, uh, if you were lucky, 55, more likely 65 for an eighth. Well, that's where the legal market started out in, in here in Arizona. Now you can go out and get an ounce for $65. Uh, and so really watching that precipitous price decline, I think, has been a win for patients and consumers. I want to talk about another aspect of adult use that's been getting uh, a lot of attention and sparking a lot of conversation around the industry in the last few weeks, and that's the size that the adult use industry should be. Um, I know the Smart and Safe Initiative um, takes the approach that the first licenses will go to existing medical cannabis companies, and then there will be a handful for social equity purposes and also rural um, entrepreneurs. And then there's also another uh, uh, proposal that's 
come out. Um, it's it's not on the ballot yet, but it's it's making an effort, and that is to you know really make the industry much larger and have 120 additional, or I think it's 120, and that may be wrong. Fact check me, but um, additional licenses. Um, right off the bat. So, um, you know, what, what do you guys think that Arizona's residents want in terms of industry size? <laughs> oh, come on, Laura. Uh, you know, look, there is no right answer to this. We don't, we don't know what the right answer is. Uh, you know, I, I think that some folks are of a mindset, particularly if you think that, uh, that cannabis isn't something that should be regulated at all, that the free market should take care of it. And I, and I think that's a valid valid response. On the other hand, we got to remember that maybe 20% of the population uses cannabis on a regular or semi-regular basis. 80% of the population still looks at this uh, through their dare, prohibition, reefer madness mindset. And, and maybe they're okay with us legalizing it, um, even though we know half of them pretty much are not, right? Uh, maybe that, that extra 5 or 6% that we can get will push us over the 50% mark and allow us to pass that. Well, we got to ask those people what they think, because otherwise we're going to be sitting here talking this academic number, and it doesn't really matter because we won't have legal cannabis, right? So, uh, you know, I, I trust that the campaign folks did their job, and they went out and polled the people, and the people thought, you know, I like the number of medical marijuana dispensaries we have today, uh, and... The campaign went out and, and talked to some uh, other communities and suggested that they add licenses for, uh, for social equity purposes. So I don't know if the number they came up with is the right number, but what I can tell you is it is the number that will probably get passed by the citizens of Arizona, which at the end of the day is the only thing that matters. And I also know that the existing dispensaries that are there are the most prepared to, to begin serving adult use patients on day one. Maine passed uh, recreational marijuana in 2016 you still cannot go into a store today in Maine and buy cannabis legally because of the crazy lengthy rollout and regulations and battles that they've had. So uh, California, similar type of stuff, right? There were all sorts of folks, but they couldn't get licensed. So, uh, you know, the, the, the people behind the initiative sought to make sure that we could start selling cannabis as soon as possible to avoid that black market gap. Uh, and, you know, what the number is, I don't know. But hopefully it'll be the right number for the Arizona people to pass it. I actually want to kind of, I want to mention a word that I think a lot of people are losing face of in all of the states, not just Arizona, but everywhere, Maine being a caregiver state still for such a long time. But the word is accountability, because at the end of the day, what happens is you've got your legislative folks, they go to the, they, they talk to the consumers, then they go and they make these bills and they sit down and they think this is going to be great. These are people who usually are not cannabis users themselves. So you've got people who aren't cannabis users, who are legislators, who are legislating for something they really don't know a whole lot about and are making it up as they go. So when you talk about accountability, you have to make sure that what they're legislating for you is what they actually fulfill for you at the end of the day. Because California, Oklahoma, Maine, Colorado is still a big state. The social equity programs that are built in to make it fair and to, I say fair because it's not fair. Maryland was a big proponent. They got hit with this the, the worst. They built in a huge social equity program, especially for those that have been affected by the war on drugs. Um, African Americans, uh, women, people of, of ethnicity who were in poor neighborhoods, who were told that they would be able to be in a, a fair and licensed industry 
and they got sidetracked and it went to big money first before anybody else. And now you've got one dispensary that is a woman African-American owned business and that's it. So that's not fair, that's not social justice, it's not social equity. And so, Where's the accountability for that? So if you've got your legislators legislating for you, Arizona, this is important, read what you're signing, read what you're giving into, and know that if they're saying they're going to do X, Y, Z, they should be doing X, Y, Z, and if they're not, why are they not? Hold them accountable, because they hold you accountable if you don't pay your taxes. They hold you accountable if you're not licensed. They take everything away from you really quickly, so it should also work in the opposite forum. That's just my little input. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think, too, as an industry, and I, I, I touch on this, the elephant in the room sometimes, I, I think it, we have to stand together on these things. Like, I am always baffled by the amount of competition and issues between each other in the cannabis industry. There is already an incredible amount of, of hurdles for us to get over just to, to get this over the fence and, and be successful. And so, you know, if we can do these things together and be reasonable, Rome was not built in a day. We are never going to have something that we say, this is perfect. It's not. It's a process, just like we're seeing in all of these states. And so it, it may not be perfect, but if we can work together and go, okay, is this what we can get over the finish line the first time? Then let's try that. And if we need to come back and do this, we see it with our medical program. There were things that we now look at and go, huh, we didn't even think of that, or gosh, that was an issue, or we should have done this better. Hindsight, again, is 2020. So I think it's extremely important for the industry as well to make sure that we're binding together. We're not fighting each other, which, again, just undermines everything that we're trying to accomplish. Here, here. All right. So we just have a few minutes left. So I want to just get from each of you, if I could, um, a your one feature that you think is most important in an adult use proposal in terms of a business sustainability perspective. Ooh, from a business sustainability perspective, I'll say that I think the most important feature in there is expungement, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's huge. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm proud that I worked very hard to make sure that that was included and, uh, and I'm proud that the, the campaign eventually chose to put that in there. Uh, from a business perspective, Honestly, I think uh, turning the industry on like right away. Uh, to me, that's the most most uh, best thing we can do to make sure the black market doesn't uh, uh, undermine what we're trying to do here, right? And to be able to do that, guess what? There's 150 stores in the greater or 130 stores in the greater Arizona area that could sell tomorrow to adults. Uh, all they need is the legal right to do so. So to me, that's the the best thing from a business standpoint is that we're not going to have to wait two and a half years while they figure it out. Yeah, I would, I mean, absolutely agree. And, and I would say even, not only with adult use, but the industry as a whole, we're, we're looking at putting the emphasis, I think, on, on better, better portions of things, right? We're looking at testing. We're looking at rules and regulations that give structure for businesses, not that we're trying to make sure that you can't make money and where does this go? And, and we don't pay attention to the consumers. We don't pay attention to the, to the product and what we're actually putting out there when people are putting in their bodies you know, what's actually being reported. So I think the industry as a whole, I mean, we've, we've certainly made progress, but I think we see, you know, w with each new proposed bill, right? When we, we look through this, we go, okay, what did we, what did we miss last time? Or, or where did we put the emphasis that maybe wasn't as important as we thought it was and caused some, some issues? And from a business perspective, it would continue to do that better, then, then the industry continues to propel forward in a positive way. 